We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to have everyone back. Um, glad to be here. Talk a little bit, uh, a little bit more college football. Another exciting week in the books. Some uh, interesting uh, games this past week that that we saw with some potential upsets that occurred. Some upsets that occurred. It was uh, it was an interesting Saturday. Well, interesting week to say the least. Um, on this show, we're gonna talk a lot about uh, some coaching changes, some different uh, rumors that we're hearing. Talk conference realignment, the winners and losers so far from conference realignment. Gonna throw some things out there, uh, see what people think about that. Um, talk about um, UMass, Coastal, Carolina, UConn. We got to talk about the nine o overtime game between Illinois and Penn State. <clears throat> so let's just dive right in. Let's uh, let's first talk about that nine overtime game between uh, Penn State and Illinois. First off, I mean, hats off to Illinois for like making that a game. I mean, Penn State clearly look was looking ahead in that game, but Illinois with Brett Bielema in charge has a has a couple really good wins under his resume already, beating Nebraska in week zero and then getting this win here at Penn State. They're also beat Charlotte. Charlotte's gonna be a bowl team. I mean, the, the, Illinois got some decent wins. I mean, they got some bad losses too, but hey, they're young. But Brett Bielema is going to do a heck of a job there. They ran the ball extremely well in that football game. Well over 300 yards rushing against Penn State. Um, didn't throw the ball well at all, but they got the W, and that's all that mattered. But let's let's talk about the new overtime format. I mean, I think I, I I'll speak for myself here. I loved the old format. Now I understand that it took. It took a while, but when you got to a seventh overtime like we'd seen in the past uh, with the score being in the 70s or whatnot, it, it, it was just an, an amazing, amazing game. And like it was just teams, just, you just go back and forth and back and forth. And I understand they're doing it for player safety, trying to make the game go a little quicker. But for this to game to go nine overtimes and for the score to be 20 to 18 at the end of the ninth overtime, speaks to the ineptitude of both teams offenses for one and you have to tip your cap to both teams defenses for doing a good job there but I mean I would have to look at the percentage of of a two-point conversion play but I would have to think it's got to be close to 50 percent and for for these teams not to score for four or five different overtimes in a row like it was just it, it I mean, it was entertaining to watch just because you're sitting at the edge of your seat just saying, okay, somebody's got to score at this point. And, but I tweeted out on the on the uh, podcast Twitter account, I'm like, at this point, just have the team play rock, paper, scissors, for goodness sakes, because it didn't look like anybody wanted to win the game after the third overtime. It was just like, just put, 
put them out of their misery, for goodness sake. <clears throat> but I, I, I'm just I'm just scratching my head on why why going away from the previous overtime setup. It was the best overtime setup in sports. I mean, it just was. I mean, it was fantastic to sit there to go from the twenty-five yard line. You got to make a play and score. I mean, maybe to move it back even to the thirty or thirty-five, just so you're not in like an easy field goal range. But uh, to to just go to two-point conversion plays is just it, that. I just don't feel like that's the answer. Um, obviously this is the first like major scene that we've seen with this. And, and I think we're obviously there's going to be some tinkering done, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, it's still better than uh, the old NFL format that they had. So we can roll, we can, I think we can all agree on that, but hats off to Illinois, Brett Bielema for getting that victory, upsetting Penn state in happy Valley. And, uh, Penn State now has to go to Ohio State, and they could spiral out of the top 25 when just a couple weeks ago. I mean, they should have won at Iowa. And uh, if if Sean Clifford didn't get hurt, I, I think they win that game. But uh, things are spiraling out of control at Penn State there, it seems. Um, but nonetheless, I, I will say I think Iowa is going to lose at Wisconsin this weekend. And... I think the Big Ten is going to start taking shape a little bit with the East. Obviously, you got Michigan, Michigan State this week as well. It, it That one's going to be a heck of a football game. Super, super excited to watch that game. But uh, I think it's going to start to take shape. So now let's now let's take a take a turn and look into uh, some of the coaching changes that we got going on. It was reported today for USC. Uh, just a uh, reported today, uh, Matt Liner, or, or I'm sorry, Carson Palmer said the front runners for the USC job include Penn State's James Franklin, Iowa State's Matt Campbell, Cincinnati's Luke Fickle, and Steelers coach Mike Tomlin. And then it was thrown in today as well that Jeff Fisher, a USC grad, former NFL coach, is also going to be in the running for that job which I I don't know I don't see how he would get that job but crazier things have happened I I don't understand why Mike Tomlin's name is thrown in there I I don't I don't get that I I think Matt Campbell's name is going to be thrown in every major job um rightfully so I mean he's earned it but uh I, I would like to know if there's any any real merit to that <clears throat> just because we're gonna I, we just hear his name thrown out to every major head coaching job um, and he just never he never takes it so that'll be interesting I, I, I think I think the major front runner has to be James Franklin just his uh his demeanor his his persona he's got that Hollywood charisma and swag that you need at USC. Um, I know in a previous episode, I, I discussed PJ Fleck just because he has that as well. I think those are the two, but James Franklin's won more. He's won bigger games. So I think, uh, I think in my opinion, he has to be the front runner. Luke Fickle, I think is just a Midwest guy. And I think he's always just going to be, 
if he's not coaching at Cincinnati, I think he's going to be the coach at Ohio State. I don't think there's any any in between there. <clears throat> so that that's my two cents on the USC position. <clears throat> One that, jeez. Uh, <clears throat> One that I really want to discuss, Texas Tech letting Matt Wells go just today. And <clears throat> that that one is head-scratching to me just because they're having, they're having a good year. And I, I just think that there's got to be more of a backstory to this that hasn't gotten out yet. But Texas Tech is 5-3. and three. They're 2-3 and three in conference. They beat Houston, who is a good team. Um, they lo- they lost to Texas. They won at West Virginia. They did lose to TCU. They beat Kansas. And then they just lost to Kansas State by a point. And and granted, their their remaining four games are against ranked teams. Their next game um, <clears throat> is this coming Saturday. They play at Oklahoma, and then they host Iowa State a couple weeks from now. Then they host Oklahoma State, and then they go to Baylor. So I mean, it, it's very possible that they end the year five and seven and don't go to a bowl game. But to 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 let your coach go in in, in this circumstance just doesn't make sense to me, and it and it makes me question what Texas Tech um, is expecting from their coaches because they also fired Cliff Kingsbury, who who is having himself a heck of a year <laughs> for the Arizona Cardinals to say the least. So if there's any if if Matt Wells needs some encouragement, the last guy that Texas Tech fired is now on a coaching an undefeated team in the NFL. So I, I have to imagine that uh, Matt Wells is going to end up just fine, but it, it the whole situation just doesn't really make sense at all. Um, like I said, I really think that there's something more involved here. I, I, I have to imagine something's going to come out just because the timing of it just doesn't make any sense at all. Which then leads me to the next head coaching potential vacancy that I see. And, and it has to be Virginia Tech. I mean, Virginia Tech has just not been a good football team. And I have to talk about Justin Fuente. It's, it seemed like at the time when he was hired that he was a good hire there, but just nothing has transpired there, and it just has not gone well at all. And they lose home games left and right now. Like, Blacksburg is supposed to be, like, enter Sandman. Like, it, it's, you're not, teams aren't supposed to go there and win, and, and now it's happening all the time. Like, Syracuse just went in there and won, for goodness sake. And, and that's not a hit against Syracuse. They're a good football team. But Virginia Tech shouldn't be losing to Syracuse. I mean, let's look at the games. They they, they just lost to Syracuse at home this, this past Saturday. The week before, they got blasted by Pittsburgh 28-7 to at home. And then they lost to Notre Dame at home. So it's just like... They started off the year really well with a good win against North Carolina, and then it's just kind of like, okay, they beat Middle Tennessee, then they lost to West Virginia, and it just hasn't been going the way that it, that you would think it you think it should. And and now they're sitting at three and four, and they're one and two in the league. And I don't know if this team can can make it to bowl eligibility. I mean, 
Their next game this Saturday is at Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech's favored in that game. Like, who would have thought that at the beginning of the year? Then they're at Boston College. They host Duke at Miami and then at Virginia. So I, I, I don't understand how Justin Fuente hasn't been let go yet just because of the, the performance by that team. It's just, it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. Um, like I said, when teams go to Blacksburg, they should be fearing that fearing them, fearing the inner Sandman. Fear, uh, there, there should be so much fear that goes into the opponent when it comes to that atmosphere. But they just, they just don't have it. They've and and it happened towards the end of Frank Beamer's tenure where they started to lose some of the recruiting battles that they used to win because they used to control the state of Virginia, and now that's not the case. But this, I mean, clearly this is a program where you can win. I mean, the ACC is obviously a place where you can win and the coastal the ACC coastal is up for grabs every year I mean Pittsburgh's kind of running away with it right now but who would have ever thought Pittsburgh would be running away with it I mean at the beginning of the year we all thought it was North Carolina we all thought it was a race between North Carolina Miami and Virginia Tech and none of those three even have a chance so it's it's just uh it's it's a mess at Virginia Tech, and I'm surprised he hasn't been let go yet. That that's that one has surprised me. Now let's go into another uh, interesting coaching talk. Um, everybody knows my partnership with Sidelines UConn. Everyone who listens to the show regularly knows that I'm partnered with the with them, and uh, I spend time talking about UConn in uh, every episode, every Monday night episode that I have. But uh, I had a question from one of my avid listeners. Who my top four for the UConn head coaching position would be? And I think everybody wants to hear, well, not everybody, but I think the big names that people want to hear are like Ed O'Dron and all, and Clay Helton. And, and I think Clay Helton would be a decent hire. Ed O'Dron would not be a good hire. Doesn't It just doesn't fit. <clears throat> he doesn't fit that uh the Northeast at all, but I'll, I'll go, I'll go from four down. Now I, I, I put a fifth, I put a fifth. So this is just going to be a top five. I, I put Lou Spanos at five, who is the interim head coach right now, because I wanted to give him a fair shake here because he has done a really as good of a job as he could, I don't want to say a really good job, but he's done as good of a job as he possibly could have with the situation he was put in. He, he was, he's been given a depleted roster. That's very, very young. The young players that they do have are talent. I mean, the young starters that they have right now have some talent. They have a, they have a really promising young quarterback in Tyler Puma. They have, uh, a really good running young running back, a really good young wide receiver. They have the leading tackler in the nation and a linebacker in Mitchell. But so there's some really good young players on this roster, but it's just the depth is the issue. And Lou Spanos with his long history as a coach in the college ranks and the pro ranks, uh, I what he's done with that team and re-energized it to the point that he has, and the team has fought hard in some of these games that that they were expected to get blown out in. 
<clears throat> he has to be given the credit. So I want to give him credit and at least put him on this list because I think he he he's earned that and he deserves it. He at least deserves an interview. He at least has earned an interview and at least has earned the right to be talked about in the discussion for the next head coach at UConn. Number four, I'm going to go with uh, Joe Harzamiak. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but he's the the co-defensive coordinator at Minnesota. He's the former head coach at Maine. He's he's from the Northeast. He fits that bill of of the type of coach that that can recruit that area. He's got he's got ties in the Northeast, which is what UConn needs. However, I am not big on hiring a defensive mind as the next head coach at UConn because that was Randy Etzel. And that's not, clearly that's not what this team needs right now. That's not what this program needs right now. I personally think they need a young offensive mind to come in there and uh, change things up. But I, I, I wanted to make sure that he was mentioned because he's got ties to the area and he's done really, really well for himself. So number three, I'm going to go with Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator at Miami. He's the former offensive coordinator at UConn. I, I, two and three on my list, I feel like you could flip. The reason I put Lashley three is because of Miami's deficiencies this year especially. Um, he's the former offensive coordinator at UConn, like I said. So he's got ties to the program and I think he'd be he would do a tremendous job. But I just think this year at Miami puts him behind the eight ball a little bit. Number two, I'm gonna go with Joe Moorhead. He's the current offensive coordinator at Oregon, former offensive coordinator at UConn. I think he would be a tremendous hire. He's a fantastic offensive mind. He's a young younger coach. He he has the ties to the area, the ties to the school. I think he would be, I think he would be a great hire. I, <clears throat> I don't, I don't see a scenario where if they hired him that they would they would uh, um, look down on that. But my number one candidate, as I've said before, is Will Will Healy, the head coach at Charlotte at UNC Charlotte. What he has done at that program over the past few years in the offense that they have this year and what he is a fantastic offensive mind. He has turned that Charlotte program into a, into a bowl team. Like the Charlotte's good guys. I mean, I've watched them play a couple times this year and that they're impressed with the way that they can score and move the ball offensively. And I think given time at UConn, he could do the same exact thing. He's proven it over his stretch here at UNC Charlotte and I think given the time and given the pay raise that he would get at UConn, that he can do it again. I really, really believe that. <clears throat> but I think any of the guys that I have won through one, two, and three, I think re would be really, really good hires. I, I really do. But I see that distinct order. I, I put Healy one because, one, he's got the head coaching experience, but he's also built a program up. And that's what UConn needs. He's the often young offensive mind who's built a young program into something. <clears throat> then Joe Moorhead 
because of what he's done at Oregon and with ties to the UConn program, then Rhett Lashley for his ties to the UConn program and for doing a decent job at Miami this year. Obviously not so much, but he's definitely, definitely deserved to be in the discussion. Now I want to talk a little about, um, let's talk a little bit about UConn. So a little more about that game uh, Friday night. Obviously, they came out. They didn't look bad in the first half, but the second half they completely laid an egg. Middle Tennessee controlled controlled the time of possession, controlled the ball, and they just took care of business the way that they were supposed to. Um, I thought UConn would put up a better fight, but when you don't have the ball, your defense gets tired, and there's not much you can do at that point. And when you're not deep um, and the defense is on the field the entire second half, it, it takes a toll. Um, so that that's what happened there. But uh, now UConn has two weeks off, much needed, but their next game is going to be at Clemson. Um, I think it's safe to say that Clemson isn't going to um, just like – I mean, Clemson's going to win. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. But – when we first saw this game coming into the season, I think it was literally one of those where you where you could look at it and say, Clemson could pick the number of points that they want to score in that game, and that would be it. And Clemson's offensive deficiencies this year um, are are uh, have been noted by many, including myself. But uh, <clears throat> I th- I think UConn can put up a fight for a quarter, but. Uh, like I said, there's no doubt Clemson's better, but the, it it's not going to look the way that we all thought it was going to look at the beginning of the season and after those first couple weeks. So <clears throat> UConn, rest up, get the guys healthy that we need to get healthy. I wish we could see a battle of the Puma brothers um, at quarterback, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case because UConn's Puma is uh, out he, sh- he should be out for the year with that ankle injury. There's no need to uh, – He th- what they need to do is just redshirt him, get this get this year back, then he can have four years to play. Like I've said before, Tyler Puma is a program-changing type of player. I, I firmly believe that. The energy that he gave this team when he was out on the field and the way he played, um, is I, I, f- I firmly believe he's going to be able to change – UConn football. I, I hope he sticks it out. As as I do the other young fresh the young guys. I mean, there's three really good receivers on this UConn roster that if they all come back, this offense has a shot to be fantastic. Then with Carter running back, if he comes back, I, I that that's my number one hope for UConn is that these guys see the vision and they stay. <clears throat> I I know it I know it's rough right now. But stick it out. See who the next head coach is going to be. And uh, I think if they can get these guys to stay on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, there's some really good young talent on the defensive side of the ball too. But the three young receivers, the young running back, and Puma quarterback, I think there's a lot to be excited for UConn fans in the future. I really, really believe that. But – Puma does not need to play the rest of the year. Redshirt him, please. Now let's move on to uh, 
let's talk a little about Coastal Carolina. Everybody knows who's listened to <clears throat> my podcast regularly how much of a supporter and fan I am of the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. I, I am a huge, huge fan of Jamie Chadwell, and I, I, I will. I hope he stays at Coastal Carolina. I think any Power Five would be privileged to have him as their next head coach. I think Virginia should do everything they can, or Virginia Tech should do everything they can to get him. But I, I firmly believe, and, and UConn too, but I firmly believe that Jamie Chadwell will stay at Coastal Carolina. I think he, he loves it there. The culture that they've built there is second to none, guys. Um, I hope that you've listened to my previous episode with Colton Corn, who's an assistant for Coastal. This the culture that they've built there at Coastal Carolina is just something that that uh, can cannot be matched. I mean, it is it is phenomenal, and, and I understand that they lost that game to App State on Wednesday night. Hats off to App State, first of all, for playing a fantastic football game, getting that W, but. App State's a really good football team, guys. That's why I ranked them in my top 25 this week. The top three teams in the Sun Belt, App State, Louisiana, and Coastal, are all really good football teams, guys. Really, really good football teams. And I think that they can play with almost anyone on the national level. <clears throat> I know Coastal has taken a lot of shots this past week into the weekend and then into this week for losing that game. And a lot of people are saying they shouldn't be ranked. I had them at 7 going into that App State game. I dropped them to 16. This is still one of the best teams in college football. It really is. <clears throat> and I I will continue to say that, and I firmly, firmly believe that. They lost a game to their biggest rival on a last-second field goal on the road. The, the, there is no love between Coastal Carolina and App State and those fan bases. <clears throat> so it, App State was ready for that game, and they're always going to be ready for that game. And I understand that they came out the week before against Louisiana and laid an egg, but it was because they were looking ahead to Coastal. They that That's it. Like, App State is not that much worse than Louisiana, guys. They're not four touchdowns worse than Louisiana. Louisiana played their best game of the year, first of all. But App State was looking ahead in that game. And they came out ready to go against Coastal. Now, now Coastal started the game fantastic. They were up 14 to nothing. And I'm like, okay, this game, they might run away with this. But then App State got that touchdown. Then that perfect onside kick. The best onside kick you'll ever see in your life. But it changed all the momentum. And then App State did what they had to do. I mean, they controlled time of possession. They controlled the game. The defense stepped up and played tremendous. That is, that's the best defense I've ever seen played against Coastal Carolina and Grayson Call and those guys. But hats off to App State. But guys, don't forget about the shot to clears. I feel bad for the Troy Trojans coming into that game Thursday because I think Coastal Carolina is ready to put a, a whooping on the Troy Trojans. And I think I think Coastal can come into that game and pick the score that they want. And that's with Troy having NFL players on their defense. Troy has NFL guys on their defense. One of the best linebackers in America. 
But I think Coastal is motivated more than ever, and Coastal's not going to lose a game the rest of the year, guys. They're not going to lose a game. And I, th- I really hope that they still are given a legitimate shot at a at a big bowl game against a big time program. I hope I I hope that they don't just say, "Oh, they lost a game, so now they're going to play." And that they say that they're going to win the Sun Belt, but now we're going to have them play the champion of the Mountain West in a bowl game. Like I hope. I really hope that's not the case. I really hope they get a shot at a Power 5 school, at a Power 5 program, at a good Power 5 program to take them down because this team is good enough. This Coastal Carolina team has 12 to 15 NFL guys on that roster at least. So I'm going to keep keep standing on my soapbox for Coastal and for the Sun Belt in general because I am a huge fan of of the Sun Belt and what they've done. And I, I, I have to talk about ULM, Louisiana Monroe, and what Terry Bowden has done there. Nothing short of amazing. They were 0-10, and now they're over 500. Like, what they've done this year. And they're going to App State this Saturday, and App State better be ready because ULM's already beat Troy. They beat Liberty. They just beat South Alabama. ULM is going to be ready. And they beat Jackson State, who's really good, too, from the FCS level. So, I mean, this, App State better be ready to go. And and I know App State fans are not looking past ULM at all because Terry Bowden is a fantastic coach. He's a, he has the most wins in, in Auburn history. What he did at Akron is nothing short of amazing. I mean, he, he is a heck of a football coach, guys. And... Uh, Hats off to him and what he's done there at ULM. <clears throat> but now let's let's uh let's spend the rest of the episode talking about conference realignment and all the fun that is that is uh, transpiring. Tomorrow, uh, Southern Miss University and the Sun Belt have a a press conference set up. And Southern Miss is going to be announced as the next member into the Sun Belt, something that I've been talking about for for a while now, and uh, for a couple weeks now, just because my sources have told me this was going to happen for a while, and uh, I'm really really happy for the Southern Miss fans, one of the best fan bases. It's it's really nice to see Southern Miss now getting back into the Sun Belt, choosing fan their fan base over the bigger markets like conference usa did and that's going to end up being the demise of conference usa is choosing those bigger markets instead of supporting your fan bases so hats off to southern miss and getting this one right but we're also going to be hearing within the next couple days of the other of the other teams that will be joining the Sun Belt. um News on Old Dominion should be coming in the next few days, um, but it's pretty much a done deal that Old Dominion is going to be coming to the Sun Belt. Marshall should be announced by the end of this week. James Madison should be probably next week. So it's 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 really really intriguing to to see the programs that are being added to the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt East is going to just be a gauntlet. The fact that you got Coastal Carolina, App State, Marshall, James Madison, 
Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and Old Dominion in in one division. Like my goodness, that that's that's gonna be really good football, and I'm really excited to see that. And uh, that's gonna be a ton of fun, a ton of fun, more fun for the fun belt, and I am here for it. Now, then the next thing that has to be talked about is Conference USA and what and what that's gonna look like. I mean, right now you got those the five teams left over in Conference USA with it being Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State, UTEP, Louisiana Tech, and FIU. I'm intrigued to see what happens with, say, Louisiana Tech and FIU because they're outliers in this whole thing. And, I mean, the, the only conferences that make sense for them are to try and fight it out to, to make Conference USA work or the Sun Belt. But clearly the Sun Belt doesn't really want them. So what so what does that leave what does that leave those schools? UTEP, I'm going to get to UTEP a little later to end the show, but UTEP uh, I think is going to do everything they possibly can to make themselves available to the Mountain West. And I know in the past there's been talks and I and I've interacted with some different UTEP fans and people around uh, around that athletic department that have i've i've been told that that when uh the mountain west expanded before utep turned it down because they wanted to stay with more people more uh programs in texas which i hope that's not the case for them because that that that's not a win for that program but uh like i said i'll talk more about utep when i get to the end of the show but I think UTEP needs to do everything they possibly can to get into the Mountain West. But one thing that I saw today put out by Sidelines uh, Sports Network with uh, Conference USA's potential implosion, what, what could Conference USA do with the five remaining schools and what is the best case scenario for Conference USA? And I firmly agree with this. For Conference USA's sake, I'm not saying this is going to be the best for the other schools, and I will talk about that in a minute, but Conference USA East to be UMass, UConn, Buffalo, Youngstown State, Liberty, Western Kentucky, and Middle Tennessee State. I think Buffalo getting out of the MAC, getting out of that travel would do well for them. I, I um. In that regard, I think Youngstown State can make the move up. I think, I mean, Missouri State could. I mean, there's a there's a plethora of options that they could go in this route. I think for Conference USA to add UMass and UConn as football-only members would be good for Conference USA. I will get to I will get to those two programs in a minute with my thoughts on that, but. I think if they were able to add Liberty, I think that'd be a big deal. But I, and I think it's interesting that the Sun Belt hasn't uh, tried to get Liberty more. I think that I think there might be some bad blood there. I'm not sure, but uh, clearly the Sun Belt isn't fond of Liberty. Then the South of the of uh, that new Conference USA would look like FIU, Kennesaw State, Jacksonville State. McNeese State, Louisiana Tech, Sam Houston State, 
Abilene Christian, UTEP, and New Mexico State. Obviously, um, a lot of travel there. But it would also lead to Little Rock and UT Arlington would join Conference USA as basketball affiliates in place of UConn and UMass, who would only be football members, as UConn and UMass would just be, on, like I said, on the football side. Now, this is something that was put out today by Sideline Sports Network. And I'm going to say I agree. I really think that that is the best case scenario for Conference USA is to do something like this. Now, it doesn't have to be these exact programs. Like some of the FCS teams could change, obviously. Um, but I, I, I don't... I don't see a scenario where Conference USA could do any better than this. I really don't. So I feel like for their sake that this kind of saves them um, a little bit. However, I personally think Western Kentucky's best move would to be if they're not going to join the Sun Belt, which the, which they're not because of the the nasty divorce that Western Kentucky had with the Sun Belt when they left before. I think Western Kentucky's best bet would be to join the MAC if possible. I, I, I really believe that. But then that leaves Middle Tennessee out to dry, and what would they do? Uh, and, I, and I don't want to say that the best thing for these schools is to go independent because it, it, it's very, very difficult in that route. And I want to bring up a... A conference idea I threw out just uh, for a northeast type conference where it's UConn UMass both just football members okay there there's UConn would still be Big East basketball UMass would still be a 10 basketball this is only for football for them and then it would be Army Navy Temple Buffalo and then they would pull up Delaware Villanova and New Hampshire from the FCS level now this is just an idea I threw out there. I'm not saying I don't I don't think that's a, that this idea would ever happen, but just something interesting that I thought about because it it brings you back to the old uh, to the old Yankee conference, um, which which again I don't think the old Yankee conference is not coming back, but it it it, it just that conference was great for what it for what it was at that time. Boston University, University of Connecticut, University of Delaware, Holy Cross, James Madison, University of Maine, UMass, New Hampshire, Northeastern, Rhode Island, Richmond, Vermont, Villanova, and William and Mary. Now, like I said, that conference is not going to come back, but in th in theory, it, it is a great idea, and. Uh, it, it would be good for those programs. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to speak first on UConn for, for the conference realignment. UConn was the definitive loser of the last conference realignment. They were left out to dry um, by the American and the expansion of that. Um, UConn had no choice but to go independent. They really... They really did because UConn from a, I mean, we all know how good they are at men's and women's basketball. Their, ba their baseball program's good, which is why I feel UConn is in a good position 
if they make the right coaching hire and build the football program up to what it can be, I'm a firm believer that in five or so years, when the next realignment cycle comes along, that they could get a call from the ACC. Because I, I don't see a scenario where the ACC wouldn't want to package UConn with like Boston College, Syracuse in that Northeast area because of what UConn would bring to the table in men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball. And if the football program builds themselves up, I'm a firm believer that UConn can be, could get that invite and get to, and be a legit contender in the ACC. Obviously right now they are nowhere near that. But I think down the road, if they make the right hire, they can do that. Now, UConn has done, and their AD have done a tremendous job being independent with the TV contract that they have. That's the key thing, where most of the other independents have not been able to do that. <clears throat> UConn has a TV deal with CBS Sports Network, where all their games are on CBS Sports Network, which is a huge, all their home games are on CBS Sports Network. And and every other game, every other game this year besides the UMass game has is or has been on TV, which is a big deal for UConn. That that is the key for their success as an independent because they were able to get this TV contract. Now, I was asked by um, some people at UMass to discuss them, um, and, and and I'm 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 intrigued to discuss this because. Because it's something I've I've thought about from the UMass perspective is what does it look like for them? Well, for them being independent, I was asked by the Curse of You on Twitter to talk about this. I, I think the best thing for UMass is to join a football-only conference. I really, really do. Because I think for them it's really hard as an independent if you don't have that TV deal because it's hard for you to, to, in my opinion, it's hard for them to sell their program when recruits and players and scouts alike can't just see their games every week. When, when you're not on, when you're not on TV every week, it, it, it takes a toll on the program and <clears throat> Without having those TV deals and those TV rights, I think it makes it really, really hard. And that's why I think Conference USA is is probably the best option for UMass to join them as a football-only member. Now, for UConn's case, I do not think that that's a good idea because I think UConn has, with that TV contract, has proven that they could sustain themselves making the right coaching hire. Now, UConn has made three bad coaching hires in a row, which has led to their demise. UMass still needs to make a good coaching hire. I think their current coach is going to be done at the end of this year. And they also need to get the right person in there and then build from there. And I, I and unless they're able to also get a TV deal, with something i don't know what that might be i don't know if cbs sports net would would also package their games i don't know if umass takes the route of like 
some of the Sunbelt, MAC, the, the group of five teams that play on weekdays. I don't know if that's the route that they take, playing some of their games on weekdays to get their get their uh, name and their brand out there. But uh, just the independent route has not been good to them. And uh, I, know, I know that they used to be in the MAC. That was a huge, huge mishap there. Just it wasn't a good fit at all. Um, that's why I, I feel that being in a conference for UMass is probably their best bet. And I think right now the best conference for them would be that Conference USA realignment, whatever that looks like. So I hope that answers those questions from uh, some of those fan bases that I was interacting with on Twitter. Really, really enjoy interacting with different people, like I've said before. And uh, feel free to always ask any questions, and I will talk about it on here and give my opinion on what I feel. Um, but uh, I want to conclude this episode talking about the UTEP Miners. They're 6-1. and one. They play at Florida Atlantic this week. That's not an easy game. Florida Atlantic's a good team. They just beat, they just beat Charlotte. And I've just spent five or so minutes talking about Will Healy and Charlotte and how good I think they are and how good their offense is. And Florida Atlantic held them to nine points, which is the lowest point total they've had this year. So UTEP's going to be in a battle going to Boca Raton, Florida against the Florida Atlantic Owls. But, uh, Really, really hoping UTEP is able to get that win because it was announced today that UTSA, who goes to UTEP, not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday, has been moved. The game time has been moved, and uh, they are going to be playing the game on ESPN2. Now, Conference USA does not have any TV deals with ESPN at all. So the fact that this game was moved to ESPN tells me one thing. Well, it tells me a lot of things. The respect that they have for those two teams, because both of those teams are really good. But it also tells me, I've been tweeting out recently a lot, that college game day needs to go to El Paso for that game. And and there's that gives me the inkling that it might be happening. <clears throat> and I hope... I hope for the UTEP minor fan base and the UTSA Roadrunner fan base as well that it does happen because those are two of the be not only the two of the best teams in Texas, but they're two of the better teams in America, and it's a great, great story for what both of those programs have achieved. UTSA to rise to the level that they rose to as quickly as they have from being a startup program. 10, 15 years ago, hats off to them. Bravo, great job. Sincere McCormick is one of the best football players in America, one of the best running backs in America. Then hats off to the UTEP Miners. As I said in the last show, last Monday, <clears throat> what they've done, they won five games from 2017 to 2020, and they're 6-1 and one already this year. So hats off to the UTEP Miners. Great job. Well, that concludes today's episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoy listening to me talk about college football. <clears throat> Please feel free, like uh, like and subscribe to the show. Um, and uh, feel free to follow the Twitter account that we have for the show, at TNT College Foot One. Also feel free to follow me on my personal account, at Coach underscore B Will. Again, guys, thanks for tuning in. Have a good night. God bless.